Good morning. Welcome again to uh, hopefully is uh, one of the last times I do this in my my uh, back office. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't know when we'll be back in the church, but it will be soon. Um, you know, we can make probably some decisions this week. It may be as early as next coming weekend or the weekend following, but uh, we will let you know by email or text or both uh, in during this week. Um, but we will still be doing a live stream, and so because we know some of you would not be comfortable coming back into a gathering space, and so we'll let you know what's going on with that very, very soon. Um, few announcements again be patient these we've been doing some of these for a number of weeks we just need to keep doing them just to make sure we get this covered but uh again if you've been giving through simple give as a reoccurring financial gift to the church uh please go on the the giving page of the website and switch that over cancel that one out and start it uh with breeze our new giving portal and um and we can move on, move ahead. Uh, we, you can also give through Venmo at 68 Strip uh, Vineyard, and uh, or you can send a check to the church, 1116 Lancaster Avenue, Bryn Mawr, PA 19010 uh, to 68 Vineyard Church. Uh, you can also use the text to give option, which is on the giving page of the website as well. Uh, parents, uh, good news. Your material will be distributed to your doorstep this week for uh, 68 kids vbc uh the virtual vbc this year and uh then also uh just remember that that third banner on the website is what you click on to get the updated uh stuff for every every sunday for your kids that that is updated every wednesday for the following sunday so uh be make sure you you utilize that again i want to just say that uh email spiritual mentors at 68.org if you need someone to help you walk through like understanding what the holy spirit is saying to you uh need some new um you know sort of fresh ideas of how to walk walk with jesus well there's some there's some really good we've got 10 people in the church trained to to uh disciple people through these these things and i would really love to see us utilize those more and more uh, and some of you have been and it's been really beneficial and i i know that i just want to end the announcement section of our thing with some prayer requests we had dick best moved on to oregon this week we we love dick he was part of our community group and he's been a real benefit to the church over the over the last few years and he got a job in oregon and and uh moved over there and uh, so pray for his transition there. We're going to miss him. But also pray for his daughter, Kaylee, who has uh, just gone through major surgery. And then, you know, as she's recovering from major sur- surgery, she finds out she has malignant melanoma, which is kind of disheartening. So she's going to go under under another surgery for that uh, very soon, I think next week. So be praying for his family. Uh, pray also for Lindley and Mike Thomas. There's some good news and some prayer requests for them because little Ryan uh, James Thomas, I hope I get the name right, was born this week. Uh, he, he, I think he was born three pounds, 14 ounces, if I'm not mistaken. So he's a little guy and uh, he is still in the NICU and that's hard on Mike and Lindley, especially with this COVID thing, not being able to both be there at the same time or, um, you know, Lindley being the only one that can hold them when she is there and things like that. So just be praying for that family. They have, they have really been troopers over the last number of years with all the things they've been through, but they're, they are building a little brood that is just a house full of wonderful kids. And so we, we thank God for little Ryan. Uh, pray also for Krista Diaz, who is still experiencing some, um, some, uh, complications with COVID, uh, 
and she seems to be fine, but she's just let her get through this. You know, it's just pray her through this. And finally, just pray for my neighbor. Uh, well, he's not really my neighbor. He's the, the son-in-law of my neighbor. Uh, uh, and his wife, Keisha, uh, Calvin Hughes, Calvin and Keisha Hughes, Calvin was in a motorcycle accident and, uh, Kim and I were able to talk and pray with Keisha the other day. And then we, then I went out and visited Calvin in the hospital, uh, being a fellow biker, we have a connection and, uh, you know, I just, I just want to pray him out of that and, and, um, you know, things like that. So anyway, let me pray for us before we get started. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for those that are logged in now. We, we thank you for those that will watch later. And uh, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And we ask that you would uh, connect us to what you're trying to say this morning, that you would uh, just clear out the debris, emotional or spiritual debris, that would keep us from hearing what, you're ha- what you have to say to us that you would speak loudly and clearly, that all the words of Jason would fall away and all the words of your spirit would move forward to the forefront. Uh, we pray that you would be glorified by this message. We pray that we would be convicted where we need to be convicted and we would be encouraged where we need to be encouraged. And we, um, we want to be your people. We want to act like your people. We want to love like your people. And we want to walk like your people. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to start out this morning reading some scripture that would seem relevant and is relevant to us right now in this day and age. Uh, it's going to be a lot, so I'm not going to ask you to go look it up in your Bibles. Just just like close your eyes and listen to these for, for a little while. Uh, I'm going to start with Jeremiah 22, verse 3. It says, this is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Isaiah 56, verse 1, maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Isaiah 58, 9b through uh, verse 10, it said in, in speaking about practicing these sorts of things, it says this. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Jeremiah 22, verse 16, it says, He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. Isaiah 1, 15 through 17, in speaking of the time that Israel did not practice these things, which seems to be quite often sometimes, it says, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. You remember that video a few weeks ago with uh, Bob Newhart? Just stop it, right? (laughs) Well, God says it here. He says, stop doing wrong. Then verse 17, he says, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widow. And then Jeremiah 7, verses 5 through 8, it says, If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, I love that 
phrase that or that sentence it's and and he continues in verse seven then i will let you live in this place in the land that i gave your ancestors forever and ever but look you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless and that's really a an important thing to think about these days right and then in fi- finally in Micah 6, 8, the moniker of our church, the, where we get our name from, it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Question mark, right? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And, and uh, Micah 6, 8 is sort of a short summary of all those other passages, so to speak, right? And, and something to which we, we do attain as believers, as Christians, and as a church together. Um, Oh, and, and although I just read all of those verses, this isn't going to be a sermon on justice, although it's woven all the way through this thing. It's, it's a sermon on, on being immersed in the revealed Word of God, of total immersion in Christ, finding unity in the life and message of Jesus as His church. Now, unity is the key word there, right? You know, at our last men's retreat, we had a pile of dry sponges and a large bowl of water upon entering the room. And we, the very first thing we asked the men to do was to take a sponge and immerse it in the water, symbolizing our individual and communal immersion in Christ and in His Word and, and, and all that He embodies together, uh, you know, in a spirit of unity to soak him up, to allow his life, his heart, his mind, his outlook, and his character to infiltrate all fibers of our being, distinct individuals making up a collective whole in Jesus. That was our important message to each other, right? And we instructed all those guys, myself included, to leave the sponges in the bowl of water for the whole weekend, signifying our unity in Christ as one, right? You know, uh, verses like Micah 6, 8 and these others are, are the things that we soak up, right? These are the things that we take into us, you know, justice and mercy, mercy and humility before our Creator God. And these verses are couched as commands and not, uh, or commands and requirements, not suggestions. God's not suggesting, well, maybe you could be just. No, He's not saying that. He is commanding us to be a people of justice or a people of mercy, of a humble people before Himself. And we're to reflect these attributes of Christ as we go throughout life in all shapes and all ways and all forms, right? You know, I'm sure we're all thinking uh, quite a lot about these issues given our current social climate, right, with all the things that are going on in America. But, but here's my question to you. How do we reflect these things in this world without compromise of the gospel and with gentility, living out of a Christian worldview, walking with Jesus and the power of the Spirit? That's a really big question for us right now, I think. You know, all those sponges were of various size and shape and color. Those sponges didn't dissolve, melding in with all the others, making one big mass. They didn't do that. They retained their unique color, shape, and, 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 and individuality. You know, distinct sponges in the same bowl, soaked in the same water. And, you know, sponges, as we know, share the same core properties, but they, they vary in color and shape and size as, as you harvest them. But the human race, I, I would say, is also one. It's the human race. And, and, the, and the same is revealed there in it, you know, in all these varied tribe and tribes and nations and languages and peoples, right? And we see this all throughout scripture. 
And today we're going to look at two passages in Revelation to understand exactly what God's end desire is for all these varied peoples, and consequently, what our view of others different than us should be, right? So let's begin at the end of the book in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, and then I'm going to jump over to 7, verses 9 through 10 as well. And, it, and, and uh, in referring to Jesus at the end of days, it says this, now listen to this. this is a wonderful, these are wonderful pictures. It says, you are worthy, you are worthy, speaking of Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, right? You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Amen to that. That's a great image. Now, chapter 7, it says this, again, also in verses 9 through 10, chapter 7. It says, after this I looked. Now, I want you to listen. If you're at home right now, just close your eyes and imagine this. Imagine this. Imagine being in this, this picture, right? It says, after this I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. The the idea that they're wearing white robes and waving palm branches is a symbol of unity to me. They are so different, but they're unified under Christ. And then verse 10, it says, And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So in light of all these commands that we see in Scripture of justice and mercy, and I didn't read them all, right? This image in Revelation is an important image for us to immerse ourselves in. Because we'll be in that crowd. If we're in Christ, if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior in life, we will be in that crowd alongside all the other peoples of the world in their wonderful diversity. The image of God's kingdom in its finality, right? Our future moment, a diverse church of many cultures united under Christ, and I just can't even imagine being there and what that would be like and how joyous that would be to sit there and hear everybody sing, maybe even in their, in their own languages and things like that. And on this side of that future, future image, right, as we live now, as we seek to evangelize or to bring people into the unity in, into unity in Christ, we find that there are thoughts and practices within cultures that are contrary to the message and the life of Christ. And the question for us is, as we, as we evangelize people, and it, and it is still a question for us as we are walking with Christ, is what do we keep or change or throw out from a culture as people come into Christ. So in our culture, there are things that are innocuous. They are not things that, you know, are antithetical to the gospel. We can keep those things as we walk our lives out with Jesus. There are some things that, you know, need to be tweaked or changed, you know, and so we, we, we change those. And then there are some things about our culture that are absolutely antithetical to the gospel, and we, we throw them out, right? We, we just don't want to have anything to do with them. Uh, thankfully, though, as we work towards this, God works in power through the Holy Spirit to convict people of these things, right? When we have to teach 
we we have to we have to share we have to communicate these things but it's it's the work of the spirit to convict somebody's heart to move their hearts the hearts of people to reflect Jesus as they walk with him and you know the, the truth of the matter is that we are just a conduit of the message and we are a partner in ministry. We are growing in these things as well. Um, and so if you look at this image in Revelation, it informs us in so many ways. It gives us a lens or a worldview through which we view all other peoples of the world. It breaks down the negativity of tribalism and speaks of the redeeming gospel for all peoples. It's a blockade of racism alluding to the origin of the human race and God's creation of all these people groups back in Genesis 11. It gives us a sense of uh, solidarity and appreciation and unity with all the people groups of the earth. It tells us that we're one with the human race, that we are all a part of it, and in its wonderful, you know, sort of creative color and culture and diversity and language and all that kind of stuff. It unifies us without losing the distinctive creative traits, which is important. And most importantly, I think, is that it tells us who has authority in this process of unification and the only way in which unity can truly be found. Because it claims Jesus as the one worthy leader of this diverse kingdom you know, as, as the perfect sacrifice, right? The God-man, God incarnate, who came into our world, who loved humanity enough to come into the world to pursue and to redeem the human race in all of its uh, glorious variety. He lived, he died, he rose again, he conquered sin and death for all that varied, all the varied peoples and languages and cultures and nations. And it gives all people equal value. The gospel always has. Scriptures always have. It gives all people equal value, holds us uh, all as morally culpable for our sin, responsible for our sin, and it, but it also reestablishes our standing before God by way of the cross, by way of grace through faith in, the, in, in Jesus as he went to the cross and he rose from the dead. You know, accepting the whole of Scripture as the revelation of God to the human race, we look actually to the beginning, back in Genesis, to God as creator of all things. And it's very important to know that the scriptures begin with God being creator. That is an extremely important point for us as believers to own, because if, if God is creator, then he has authority over creation, right? And we see this in the creation account in the first uh, three chapters of Genesis, if you remember that. And then, as you skip ahead into Genesis 11, we see how God created all the various peoples of culture and language in the account of the Tower of Babel when God created them by scattering the human race in their various languages and things like that. You know, as creator, as I said, he has this authority in life over, over creation and over us, and he defines our reality. He defines what a human being is. He defines what gender as male and female is. He defines what marriage and sexuality mean. He, 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 he gives value, uh, the value of, a, of humanity and all of its diversity and the standards of justice and mercy, including how that's practiced in the world. He, you know, uh, he, he, he informs our view on money, how we make decisions, uh, what we do in, uh, with life and body. Uh, how we're to pursue justice and mercy in this world. He calls us to humility. 
Uh, and finally, our, he calls us to our central purpose, and that is to bring others under the loving authority of Christ through witness and word. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the Great Commission, right? Yet, what we find is that without Christ, we, we tend to define our own identities, right? By the way, to define your own identity is an unbearable burden and an unsustainable burden. Because we were never intended to create and manage our own identity as, as, as human beings. Identity is God's gift to us. And so it's damaging to individuals and society to place that burden on the shoulders of humanity, right? So when we define it for ourselves, you know, compromising on how God create us, created us, we, we rob people of the wonderful gift of being authored. The wonderful gift of being authored. I, I heard another preacher, professor uh, say that this week, and I just love that, that idea of being author. Thaddeus, Thaddeus Williams, I think his name is, uh, that wonderful gift of being authored. To allow God to author our lives is to live within the freedom of his healthy, loving boundaries, right? And so when I seek to redefine what sexuality or marriage or justice mean, just to name a few, What I do is I create a system which, although looks uh, on the surface to bring freedom, it actually creates a new oppression of myself and others. And what we find out is that 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25 is actually true, that the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Amen? Amen. You know, Christianity, beginning with the fall of Adam and Eve, acknowledges that life is suffering, that we're all broken, that we're in need of a Savior. But culture right now tempts us to think that all suffering can be alleviated and salvation can be found through liberation or socioeconomic betterment alone. You know, and I agree, some suffering will be alleviated by these, and it should be. Change should come where change is needed. That's for sure. And we all can agree on that. I, th- I don't think I've met any one person that wouldn't say that. But it, it won't stop all suffering, and it definitely will not save souls. You know, intellectual blindness on these issues leads us into sort of evil philosophies dressed up in tempting terminology. And what we find is that It is actually hard work to be truly just and good and stay true to the heart and the revelation of God. So we take, we, we tend to take the easy route because it's hard work, right? So we take the easy route and we marry ourselves to systems of thought which afford us the ability to not really love the poor and oppressed, but simply to hate the rich and the powerful. And that is really, in my opinion, and I think it, it is scriptural to say that that is a compromise to the gospel, and it is, it's, it's a compromise to true, true justice. You know, proof is when the finger-pointing and the malicious talk begin, as we listen to the worthless, deceptive words, and the new ethnic Gnosticism infiltrates the church. Ethnic Gnosticism, as Dr. Vodi Bakum, if I pronounce his name correctly, calls it, right? He, he coined that term, ethnic Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism was a special knowledge which only the intellectually superior or the enlightened could understand to be saved or morally righteous. 
it was one of the first heresies of the church in the first few centuries there, and, and, and it's reared its ugly head in various forms throughout history. We've, we've had to battle Gnosticism in various forms uh, all throughout history as a church. And this new ethnic Gnosticism creates a culture works-based righteousness where you have to know and you have to do certain things and you have to say certain things to be morally right and accepted in society instead of standing on the grace of God and the mercy of the gospel. It is characterized in certain terminology, suggesting that if someone doesn't see or understand something in a certain way, they are deemed immoral, slapped with a label, and they risk losing livelihood or worse. It marginalizes certain people as, you know, to keep them in sort of a cultural prison. There is no forgiveness. There is no hope for transformation. It's ongoing punishment for some being born simply as they are with no end in sight. You know, a Christian worldview, though, dictates that Jesus created and came to pursue not just the green or the blue or the yellow or the brown sponges, but every single one of them. And the unification under his kingship is to resist conforming to the false narratives of our culture and allowing my thinking to be transformed by Christ. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Great verse, uh, great two verses, actually, if you want to uh, memorize that. It's one, it's one that's very relevant for right now. And this, you know, when that happens, this leads to my words and my actions becoming truly beneficial for not only me, but others around me, even when they're socially unpopular at times. It says that all these varied, wonderful colors and nations and tribes and languages and peoples are are valuable and worth pursuing, and that Jesus will redeem a remnant of all those people who would unify themselves under him. It says that those in Christ are to act out of the heart of God, giving honor and respect and love to all peoples because they are God's creation. And and we have God's heart now. You know, in God's kingdom, there's no room for racism, for injustice, or looking with disdain on another person, no matter what they've done or who they are or where they're from or what views they hold. We're all guilty of doing these things at times, but we're not, we don't, we don't confess that that's the way that we should be. But you know all this, right? I'm preaching to the choir. You guys know this stuff. I know you do because I've talked to you. What you may not be thinking about, uh, though, is that we're all created with a deep desire for belonging. And that is built into our spiritual d- DNA. The Trinity uh, you know, and, and Revelations chapter 5 and 7 all reflect this. The creation of Adam and Eve as, uh, you know, Adam, or, or I'm sorry, Eve as Adam's uh, suitable partner reflects this when God says it's not good for man to be alone. God is a communal God creating communal people, right? But belonging brings with it this subtle temptation of compromising the gospel through social acceptance. Conforming to the patterns of this world, following the crowd, although belonging to that crowd forces compromise on our biblical worldview where it brings only more division, assumes wrong intent of others, begins only with distrust, punishes unfairly, fosters hatred, or says we have to do or say certain things exactly to be morally right and accepted. And when belonging isn't found in Christ and in his family, consequently in his family, We seek it in negative ways, don't we? 
Some ways that we seek it are innocuous. They don't matter. You can be a member of a ba- baseball team, and that would be your, you know, your sense of belonging is with that baseball team. That's innocuous. That doesn't matter. But the pull to belong is so strong that we begin to, to trust in deceptive, worthless wor- words, as Jeremiah warned us. Belonging to groups, adopting a worldview which doesn't actually reflect the counsel and the character of Jesus, let alone God's true justice among peoples. A worldview only using convenient truths to to mask this overall deception. And we get caught in counterfeit movements, even of justice, which don't actually flow from the throne of God at all, and they don't reflect humility by allowing him to define what life and justice is among us. You know, Exodus chapter 20 is the account of the Ten Commandments, but all you, you know, armchair uh, Bible scholars know that already, ready, right? Exodus 20, uh, the Ten Commandments, and the first one says this. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall, this is the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. That's an important, important uh, statement. So we see here that God is the great liberator. And, and the challenge is to allow his rightful authority and life and justice while acting justly as his people, while reflecting him in our lives. A lifestyle which doesn't get caught in the weeds of hatred or creating new oppressive systems through faulty ideologies. Justice for all peoples under Christ, not just for a select few. Because the problem in seeking justice is that we can get caught in philosophies or a worldview which doesn't have God in the driver's seat. Rather, it's driven by imperfect human ideology, inevitably hurtful and destructive to peoples, at least in the long run, and very often in the short run. Exchanging the oppression of one people group for another. Which means right now, I'm sorry to say, that to be an actual loving truth teller of the gospel, actually standing and and, and loving people enough to tell them the truth in Jesus, sometimes means to be hated because it brings with it a deep disagreement, disagreement on how justice and issues in society are pursued and worked out. And the interesting thing about the Ten Commandments is that if we break any of commandments 2 through 10, we automatically break the first. Because in breaking the others, we put ourselves on the throne of God. We put ourselves before God, right? And our culture is absolutely replete with idols which eclipse God's first commandment. We know that, right? Greed, sex, power, and the like. We, we, could, we could name them all. Yet all of these labels only mask the root problem. Self-elevation to God's throne is the idol all these labels represent. It's the ancient sin of Adam and Eve that they knew better than God, their pride, right? And in this pride, we seek that which we think brings fulfillment, and in doing so, as Jeremiah said, we follow other gods to our own harm. Let me just say that any ideology or worldview which doesn't begin with the first commandment, God on the throne of life, is doomed to failure and brings destruction. If God isn't rightfully enthroned, then we make choices which only seem to benefit you know, everyone, but really only benefit our tribe, again, because we're driven so hard to belong. 
So it's all too easy, especially right now, to adopt pop ideologies which make us feel like we belong to something, especially when we see so, you know, when so many of the concepts and the languages that are, that are bandied about sound beneficial and even godly, although in reality they are deeply damaging to peoples. Any system which claims justice without God as head is in the end damaging to the human race. Because human justice often equals tribalism, guarding or doing what seems right for your tribe, even temporary or false tribes. And those are the deceptive words we may be following, as Jeremiah warned us. These humanistic endeavors pit people against one another. They exchange oppression from one people group for another, filled with pointing fingers and malicious talk, as Isaiah stated. And we see a lot of that right now. But we can be better than that. We can be the just, merciful, humble people of God by immersing ourselves in Christ, finding unity in the message of the gospel. Christians could define justice as giving others what they're due as the wonderful creation of God. Everybody in this world. So be prayerful and thoughtful as we consider which lens we view the world through. Stay true to the gospel. Seek justice which flows from the throne of Christ and the freeing power of the gospel in the lives of others. Let the Bible inform us concerning all people to respect them, love them, care, honor, and protect them, and et cetera, and so on and so forth, right? Remembering, though, that it also makes the claim that sin and shame and dividing walls of hostility can only be dealt with through the gospel. In no other way can true identity and peace be found in this world other than through Christ, which is why we're consistently called in Scripture to go and make disciples of all nations, bringing them into God's family where diversity is truly valued and unity is truly found. So let's keep the first commandment, right? Allowing God to be God, defining who we are in every regard, because even when it doesn't feel right in the eyes of our culture, it is right for everyone involved which is really faith, right? Trusting God even when when his ways seem to contradict culture and this new Gnosticism. Pray to avoid the trap of social acceptance on issues and actions which may not truly reflect the heart of God for all peoples. Explore this. Get, Get educated on this. Be a sponge immersed in Christ, allowing him to define life in every detail and be willing to suffer for the name of Jesus, because that day is coming. I really do believe that. So this sermon is not about justice. It's about unity under the revealed gospel of Christ, immersing ourselves in Jesus, allowing him to define through his revealed word, through the Holy Spirit's direction, and church agreement, who we are without conforming to the contradictory philosophies and ideologies of society. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, looking at an uncut cake, you know, if I had a cake here with icing all over it, if you look at an uncut cake, the only thing that you see on the outside is icing and decoration. My mom made my, my son and his fiance, well now wife, a beautiful wedding cake uh, last weekend as we did their wedding. 
And all you see is that beautiful icing and decoration. But icing is held up by the actual cake part, right? The meat of the cake, right? Now, if our lives were a cake, would the cake part be just the lived experience and the ethereal feelings of Jesus and church community iced over with just a few favorite Christian verses and truth statements which we feel an affinity towards or prove or seem to fit where we're going in life? See, that cake wouldn't hold up. It wouldn't have all the ingredients to make it stand, and it would never rise in the oven. Or we could reverse that image. Choosing to build our cake out of the revealed Word of God, the Holy Spirit's discernment and wisdom, and in the unity of shared Christian vision and fellowship, with the icing being our personal feelings and experiences in Christ. And there's nothing wrong with the icing. Icing's fun. It's good, right? The joys, the good feelings we have in Jesus, that's all great. But they're not the foundation which holds up the cake. We have to build our cake of life out of the truth of the revealed Word of God and how He defines the human race and life for us. And when we base it on that, the icing actually tastes best. That life endures. It withstands the suffering we face as we walk through life with Jesus. So let's end with this statement. In light of God's creative and perfect authority, we affirm that God, by His will and for His glory, created all nations, scattered us in our sinful pride, and now is regathering us together as one new redeemed humanity through the blood, shed blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the redemption, reconciliation, and the flourishing of all tribes and people groups and language, languages is a gospel issue. We deny this world, apart from Christ, can reconcile and unify humanity in our diversity. The gospel extended through the church is the only means to peace with God and with one another. And I truly, a thousand percent, believe that. Because I see it in the scriptures, and I see it in life. I see it in the meat of my cake, and I see it in the icing experience of my life. Let me pray for us. And you can stay on if you'd like and chat with people for a few minutes, but I want to close us in prayer. Father God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the, the cake. We thank you for the interior of it, the ingredients that go into it, the word that you have shared with us, you've revealed to us. Uh, we didn't make it up. It was brought to us maybe through uh, people's mouths as they spoke it, but they were inspired by you as they did. And we thank you that we can stand on that, that that is our foundation, that it is something that is unshakable, and that we can't incise things out of it. We can't add things to it. It is enough for us to live, and we can find unity, and we can find peace, and we can find acceptance and belonging through you and in your church. Father God, I pray for any soul out there right now that is struggling with these issues, that you would make it clear to them in some way, shape, or form, send somebody into their lives to speak to them and lead them back into your scriptures as they are trying to figure this all out. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you're doing in our church and in us as individuals. And even in this society, when it looks like you're not doing anything in this society, we know you are. 
we know that even a breakdown of certain things is to be built up later. And so we give, we give praise for that. And we wait for a glorious movement of peoples to come to understand you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. And, uh, be looking for an email this week about, uh, what we're, uh, what our plans are in the next few weeks. Uh, and have a great sunny day. It's hot and sunny.